Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Davis is getting the MJ Melendez treatment that the Royals gave their catching prospect, their guy that was hitting uh, home runs so often in AAA a couple years ago. I think he he set the the mark, the high mark, uh, across all of the minor leagues for the most home runs before he was elevated. But then struggled trying to prepare, trying to be a catcher in the major leagues, and it affected his bat. It looks like the uh, the Pirates are taking a page out of the Royals with their big prospect. It's exactly what they're doing, Chris, and it's kind of exactly what we said they were going to do because we've had this conversation. We, I think a few weeks back, we're talking about the guys that if he's not a catcher, it's still okay because those guys transition, but that's not where we're at right now. Basically, Ben Charrington came out there and said that most of his reps were going to be in right field, the majority probably, a little bit in DH, and that he would be learning the catching position inside sessions at practice as to not overwhelm him when he comes up here in preparing for a major league game and also getting used to all of the pitchers that are up here some of whom that he's probably never you know outside of spring training been thrown to ever and doesn't know the array of pitches doesn't know all of the batters in the major leagues I mean, you can say what you want to about Austin Hedges. It's easy to go to the batting average. Jason Mackey got attacked online last night just because he stated facts. (laughs) Online attacks are my favorite because they're so uninformed. Look, we're all fans. Everybody's a fan in some way. But I just think sometimes you got to listen to people like Jason Mackey who's who's actually around the team, understands what they're doing, and, and is trying to explain it to you. It's not Jason Mackey. That's te- that's making these decisions. He's explaining to you why they're being made. Yeah, because he goes, you know, he's batting 175 this year. Over the past few years, his average over that time is a 171. So he's right where we knew he was going to be. And then he points out that you know, in defensive runs saved, according to Fangraphs, the Pirates are tied as the best team in Major League Baseball for backstops. So. He's doing exactly what he was brought in here to do. But when he goes up to the plate, you see uh, him, I don't know, get <laughs> get booed. He's bad. He's bad. Listen, he's bad at hitting. I don't know why you're booing him. Because the thing is, this is the first time we're winning, right? 
even though there's been an awful lot of losing over the last week. But this is the first time that this team is is winning. And this is the first time this team is going to put together a season it's not going to be 100 losses in the last couple of years. And I understand the need to immediately just leap into the postseason this year. But you don't stunt growth or screw up the process at this point. You didn't suffer all these other seasons to, to screw up something in a development of your player or, a, or the team or how everything's coming together because you want to rush in 2023 because 24 and 25 and 26 are far more important years and you're going to be a lot closer to that brass ring which is a championship having an opportunity to win a championship that's what this is all about and and you know I don't get the booing of hedges like look I get it his defense doesn't outweigh how bad he is at the plate it's very you can just look at his b-war he's almost at a negative one game below replacement he he is still even with his defense Craig He is not good. He shouldn't be an everyday catcher in the major leagues. He doesn't bring enough to be able to be an everyday catcher in the major leagues. He wouldn't be a bad backup depending on, you know, what what you needed. And if you're saying, well, we need a little bit better of a defensive guy or you like how he he catches games or he's a good clubhouse guy and he's going to be in there once a week. Okay, you can get away with that and still have a really good team. Plenty of championship teams have had a guy like Austin Hedges on their team, but not in the role that the Pirates are using him in. So I get the frustration, but you're not going to bring up Henry Davis after only a couple of weeks in AAA and throw him into the major leagues as a catcher where he's got to leap another level. I mean, think about this. Double A to triple A to the majors was so quick here. And you want him to make that leap in that quick amount of time and be able to adjust to major league pitching as a hitter and then also run your staff and do all the pregame prep and be able to do all that. I mean, you're overloading a player. And I think, like I said at the very beginning here, Kansas City realized they screwed that up with MJ Melendez. And they were like, we've got Sal Perez. Unfortunately, the Pirates don't, but they've got Sal Perez. They're like, we're going to put this Melendez in the outfield for the rest of the year. And we're not going to touch him behind the plate. And we're going to let him work on the side a little bit. And then after we've done that, he'll get used to hitting. And you know what? His average went up. He started, he has had his ups and his downs, but there was almost an immediate impact when you watched him just take away the catching duties from him. And I think the Pirates saw that and said, okay, if we want to have Henry Davis contribute this year to the Major League team and we want to get him up here, the only way we can really do that is if he isn't catching this year. And and, and I get that, because guess what? If you want him to be just a catcher, you weren't going to see him at the Major League level this year because he wasn't ready yet to be able to do all of that. Yeah, and we've had a number of people come on here, Chris, that, I mean, they're, and it's from, like, outside of, you know, the Pittsburgh you know, beat writers. We had uh, Zach Buchanan, formerly of the Athletic. He was part of that, you know, unfortunate slew that of of people that were let go. I mean, we had him on here, and he said, "I talked to Dalton Rushing, who was Henry's backup at Louisville, that said that they really didn't focus on catching at Louisville. They focused on his bat, and they knew that, like, hey, if we can out hit this other team." then we're probably going to end up winning and you don't have to work with the staff as much. You don't have to work on framing. You don't have to do all this other stuff. Well, that's what happened, you know, with Henry and he's had because of injuries, minimal time with the, the pirates organization. So people like automatically jump to the conclusion that it's like, well, the pirates said that he needed to stay down there to get more catching reps. And now they pulled him up here and they're putting him in right field. So that makes total sense. And it's like, 
Actually, it kind of does because it, it's not, we talked about linear. At the beginning of the season, Ben Sherrington said, we are going to put Andy at Indianapolis to get more catching. We're going to put Henry at Altoona to get more catching. We realized that Henry's bat was advancing quicker than, you know, maybe a lot of people expected. And we couldn't hold his bat down anymore. But we realized that he also wasn't going to be a full-time catcher this season. And this doesn't mean he's not the catcher moving forward. This doesn't mean that he is the catcher moving forward. They're going to have to see, you know, as he's working with uh, Jordan Comandina, he's the bullpen catcher. As he's working with Austin Hedges, as he's working with, I mean, whoever it may be. I mean, Derek Shelton was a was a minor league catcher. They're going to be talking to all these people and trying to get him warmed up to that position as opposed to, like you said, throwing him to the fire and saying, okay, now handle a major league staff. Now try to hit major league pitching. So you have to scout every single team you play, what their, you know, tendencies are, what pitches, you know, what zone you should be throwing into, where you should be setting up, when you should be calling a certain pitch. There is just so much that goes into catching that people like, like I said, Chris, and I think we talked about this last week. Cause I think that people have, um, especially, I mean, in this town you want to win, but I think that since our football team, that's, that's the number one team is, is the Steelers. It's like, it's like, okay, so we drafted this guy as a center, why are we playing him at tight end is, is how they would kind of equate this to. No, it's not even the same thing. It's, it's like you're not playing him at catcher because it to, for him to make that jump to the next level, you don't want to hurt the thing that's been going so well for him this season, and that's been the bat. And we saw it. Right, and now here's the thing. Just, just, just to what you're just saying, because I, I know you got more you got to say, but let me just throw this in here. Anybody who sits there and says you drafted him as a, him as a catcher, so he has to be a catcher. I'd like to introduce you to Bryce Harper. And then I want to ask you whether or not the Nationals and the Phillies are failures because they don't have him behind the plate. Right? Or that Bryce Harper isn't a great player and worth the hundreds of millions of dollars that he's getting paid right now because he never made it as a catcher even though he was drafted as one. You know, They haven't given up on him as a catcher. If they do one day, it's because they found another catcher that was better than him Andy turns out being the better catcher, right? And you get that bat in your lineup. So, th- seriously, that is such a flawed thought process. Well, you draft him as a catcher, so he's got to be a catcher. No. And this team is actually doing something forward-thinking. They're not doing it the old way of doing things, where it is, all right, he's a catcher, bring him up as a catcher, and then just let him figure it out all at once. No, they're trying something that a few teams have started doing now, where they take their catchers and they have them play someplace else. William Contreras with the Braves, was was basically playing DH and outfield in his first year because they didn't want to overload him. And then once he finally figured it out, he became good enough that the Brewers wanted him and grabbed him up, and now they play him every day out there in Milwaukee. And he's had better success because of it, and he's still coming along and learning because that's how development goes. But this is not an unheard-of thing. There are several catchers currently in the major leagues that were brought up in this way. And it's been successful. Yeah, and people, I kind of go to, I mean, it's even the conversations that were had about O'Neill Cruz that, you know, he needs to stick at shortstop because that's where his value is. And yes, O'Neill Cruz at shortstop is, if he has the bat that he has, you know, when he comes back, if, if it continues, then yes, he does have more value. 
but it doesn't mean that he loses every single bit of his value if he would move to first base, right field, left field, center field, wherever it may be. It's the same thing with, with Henry Davis. Yes, if he if he has the same bat he has right now and that continues to develop, is he more valuable if he has that? Yes, because how many like good hitting catchers are there in Major League Baseball? I mean, there's a handful. It's the same thing. If he's in right field, does he have as much value? No, but it doesn't mean that he just all of a sudden is like a worthless player if he's hitting, you know, 20 to 25, 30 home runs in right field. It just basically means he has a little bit less value than he would have, but it doesn't mean he has no value. And he's shown that he's athletic enough. I mean, to tell you the truth, I mean, I saw him out there in the Pirates uniform, and I don't know if it was the fit of the Pirates uniform or if the the one in the minor leagues are a little bit tighter or whatever it would be. I think that he's actually, I'd, I'd like somebody to ask this of him. It looks like he's gotten himself, like, not in, like, better shape, I wouldn't say, but i say he's, like, thinned down a little bit. So he's he's athletic enough. I mean, we talked to uh, somebody who was, you know, they decided that Dalton Varsho was better as an, as, as an outfielder than behind the plate, and now he's, you know, a full-time outfielder for Toronto after they traded him. So... Yeah, Chris, I mean, there's there's just so much that goes into this, and I think it all boils down to we started out 20-8, and eight, went on a huge losing streak in May, kind of started to bounce back at the beginning of June, and now when, I mean, even us said this was a very important stretch for the team because this is the first time we were going to see Chicago, the first time we were going to see Milwaukee, and to this point, as of right now, we've lost seven games straight. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And this was the stretch that I said – they should win these games. As we went over this entire month, I was like, "This, these, these are games you're going to win. You know, these, these are the games you should win. These are the teams you should beat, and they have not beaten them. And now this is interesting to me because I won't be satisfied with a team that finishes 10 games under 500, right? Not after the way that they started. I want a team pretty much around 500 at the end of the year. They've got to handle adversity when something like this streak occurs. They, they, and that that is going to be the, the telltale sign as to what kind of manager long-term as this team continues to grow that Derek Shelton is, right? Because some teams in rebuilds bring along a manager, and that manager is best for, you know, just doing what the organization wants, listening to how they want to deploy players, and it's all about the development, right? And getting you to a point where you're ready to start winning titles and winning divisions and things like that, right? And, and then some teams, that manager sticks with the team and stays through the entire thing. Some teams look at it and say, yeah, there were a few things here where it was like, it was, it was frightening. They, you know, they went on a big streak or the guys got down or we should have finished a little bit better than what we did and he didn't do very well. And then they go out and they get somebody else. Wasn't it what, what Buck Schultwalter was the guy as the Yankees were building, but Joe Torre finished it? You see, you see a lot, you know, Rick Renteria was the guy that helped build the Cubs, but Joe Madden came in for the final run. Like a lot of teams do those kind of things. This is the kind of thing that I'm sure the organization is going to look at at some point at the end of the year, and they're going to say, okay, when they had adversity and things were going wrong, 
How did Derek keep them all on point, especially with an awful lot of guys that are 25, 24, 23, 22 years old on his major league roster who are trying to learn how to win? What was the tone that was set, and how did he get them out of these funks? That's what I'm curious about. Yeah, and for Derek Shelton, I mean, a lot of people are are turning on him right now already, and I mean, some of it is justified. Some of it might be a little bit of an overreaction, but it all points back to people saying, you know, why was he you know, given an extension, you know, only so many games into the season. Well, they had talked about it in the offseason. They were approached, they approached him. They talked about it. They came to an agreement. But I kind of liked it at that point in time because then you're not operating with a lame duck manager. So you, you're going to have a guy that you would hopefully be able to say, well, if I'm telling you to do this in, say, you know, May, June, or July, that – it's not going to be somebody saying, well, I mean, what's the next manager's philosophy going to be? Because this guy's gone at the end of the season and I'm still going to be here. No, no. You want to know what's, you want to know what's most important about it. And I think, you, I, I think you're missing this. So what, what's most important about it is that if he has the confidence that he has a contract for a couple more years, that he's more likely to listen when the organization says, we are still developing and we need to know what these guys are capable of. So we want you to leave so-and-so in in a tough situation. We want you to find out which relievers can handle the big moments. Even if they fail and it costs us the game, we want to know everything about these guys. And he's more apt to make those decisions because he knows he's around for the long term. There's a lot you need to learn about your team. And you need to know who are the guys, man. Who are the ones you can rely on and who are the ones you cannot. And sometimes you learn that by making a move contrary to what you would normally do just to win an individual game. Sometimes you leave somebody out there a little bit longer. Sometimes you put somebody in an uncomfortable situation because you're trying to learn something about them. And so why would he go and do that and jeopardize his win-loss record? to where he knows he's going to be off the Pirates and somebody else is going to take this over. If he doesn't have any confidence, he's not going to go out and learn that about his team, and the organization is going to learn about these players the way they want to. This is all part of the building process. You need him to also buy in, because otherwise his temptation is going to be, yeah, I'm yanking that guy. I know they want to know if he can handle that, but I'm yanking him because I need to win this game. It, It may not be all about the individual win and loss yet. I know we want it to be, but some of this is also part of the development and the growth of the team. Yeah, and Chris, I mean, I would say that you make a good point there because, I mean, all along, Ben Sherrington has said that, you know, Derek Shelton is, you know, a good partner. That's the, like, word that wording that he's used, I believe, at least more than once, where it's like he's a good partner for this organization in that, you know, he's working well with the team. He works well with the younger players. He works well with the development. And even when you're saying that, like, when he works well with development, it could be he works well in helping us figure out which guys are developing and which guys aren't. And which guys, and developing as a team, as opposed to, in some ways, developing as individuals. Like, that we can figure out, you know, you know, Dowry Moretta, who was, you know, forced into the setup man uh, role with Colin Holderman, number one, being bad, then being bad, and then being injured. And, you know, can he handle this role? It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a role in the team moving forward. It's just like, well, maybe he can't handle, you know, the setup role. Uh, Getting, you know, a rotation, a healthy rotation of G1 Bay, Rodolfo Castro, 
and Chukapita Marconner, where we've even had this conversation, Chris, where we've said, I mean, these guys have, you know, very similar skill sets. Yes, Castro has a little bit more pop, but especially Marcano and Bay, like they're a very similar player. Can we figure out which one of these guys is actually for real? Which one of these guys isn't? And maybe at some point in time, and it's, it's still in the back of my head is, you know, could we move one of these guys who still maybe has a little bit of that shine or still, you know, might not be a bad player. But if we only need one of these guys for this role and we have two of them, we got to figure out who works best for our team, for our organization, and then maybe, you know, move one of those out. But before we get on the show, Chris, I mean, if you look at the full body of work, not too many of those guys are are above average as far as, you know, one of the main uh, – levels that we put it on which is the ops plus and if it's well rodolfo castro is the better is the better hitter of the three at least so far in this season i mean it's really easy to break down here you got bays had a 213 plate appearances marcano's had 156 and castro's had 186 so far this year and castro's got a 110 ops plus a 763 he's above the average his ops plus would be 100 the other two guys are below it bay is at an 84 ops plus and marcano's at an 89 he, the best, the, the, like Bay's got a little bit higher average by a couple of points right now. Uh, the guy who gets on base clearly more than the other two is Castro. The guy that slugs more than the other two is Castro. The guy with the home runs, you can add up Bay's and Marcano's home runs, and they don't even equal Castro's. So I mean, like that's the guy that I sit there and say at the plate at least he seems very clear this year to be the better hitter. Yeah, and, and for him, it's been, I mean, they've been protecting him a lot just because he's been pretty much like a platoon platoon player. He's a guy that, you know, if you have a lefty out there, he hits the he hits very well right-handed, does not hit very well left-handed. So, I mean, they've they've kind of, I wouldn't say padded the stats on that one, but it, it doesn't, like, maybe tell the whole picture. And I think that's what you were getting at is, is just that there's... Well, it... If you're going to, if you're going, none of these guys cost a lot of money. Right? Yeah. So you can use them in a three man rotation based upon lineups. There's nothing wrong with that. To have three guys that you, you trust that are what, 23, 23, and 24 right now that you have a bunch of control over. It's not a, you're not in a hurry to move on from one of them. You know, if you'd love to see one of them take it to another level because nothing they're doing right now is like otherworldly. Right. Like like you, if you're going to be a, a like a championship team, you need more big names. Like basically you got Brian Reynolds and you got Jack Sawinski and you got I mean, like for long term hitting, those are your two big hitters. OK, Connor Joe is just a little bit above average in terms of what he's producing at the plate and cutches towards the end of his career, even though he's having a really good year for the team. And so, I mean, like the, like you're going to you need to find more pop in your lineup and consistent pop in your lineup and again that's a reason why this team is fun to watch this year but do you really think this team's getting into the postseason and ripping through a bunch of uh of of the the bigger teams they're gonna get outclassed there's a reason why they're under 500 against teams that are over 500 themselves the better teams they don't beat generally they have a bad record against teams that are good they they're not there yet again that's why you're focusing more on development. You want a winning attitude. You want to get out of this slump. You want to be as close to 500 as possible. You'd love to have a winning record. But more than anything, 
It's the development of the players and learning about the players and advancing them so that next year you are further ahead in this process. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's fairly telling to the organization and, and to like the state of the organization. And we talked about pitching a lot you know, during the last show is that, you know, you have Luis Ortiz, who has been kind of like up and down. Johan Oviedo, who's been kind of up and down. Rowanzi Contreras is in the bullpen. And then you have Osvaldo Bito, who comes up and has had a couple good games. And that, to me, I mean, does it mean anything? I don't really know. But I just know that, I mean, don't start saying, okay, well, maybe it's... And I think that's where fans' minds go. It's like, okay, if it's not Ortiz and it's not Oviedo, then maybe it's Bito. Like, everybody's making all of these, like, proclamations and thinking all of this stuff is going to happen a lot quicker than it was. It was just like, okay, well... You know, Marcano had a couple hot weeks, so maybe Marcano's the answer. Well, Marcano's cooled off. Well, you know, G1Bay, maybe he's the answer. He was hot at the beginning of the year, cooled off, kind of hot again, but like you said, at this point in time, is falling still below average. So, I mean, I think that we as fans, and, and, and I mean, I know I'm not going to change anybody's minds because, you know, everybody's already chosen their narrative, and they have to run with it, and they have to figure out, you know, what fits into that narrative to, to kind of, you know, justify how they're feeling the way that they're feeling. But I mean, just look at the team right now and, and think to yourself, it's like, is this team, you know, built to win? It, I think it's built to compete from time to time. I, I wouldn't say that, you know, I mean, we've lost these seven games in a row. We haven't scored over the last two games, but a lot of these games we've kind of been in it. And just haven't been able to close it out because, I mean, just like we've said, Chris, a bullpen is is going to go, it's going to be finicky. It's going to be, you know, fickle. It's not going to always, you know, perform well. We're, we're sitting, I was sitting down at Father's Day and listening to the game outside with uh, a bunch of my family members, my brother-in-law's family members. And, you know, Moretta came in and Bednar came in and we were just like, okay, we're finally going to win one of these games. And what happens? Moretta... Walks the bases, gives up some hits. Bednar gives up a single, and next thing you know, that game is gone. So it's it's like yeah. you can't like say that this is the team, and this is the team that we're running with. you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the why that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand. Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at WW Shop Yins, the emphasis on the two Z's, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. You're not built to win yet. This, this team needs several more starting pitchers. Probably needs some tweaks done to its bullpen, but I wouldn't overspend in the bullpen the way that you're going to have to budget, right? So you've got to find guys, and you you got to be very good at scouting because you're not going to be able to go out and spend forty million dollars on your bullpen. You're not you're not a big name 
you know, high end, you know, high salary team. Bob Nutting's not going to do that. But you hope that it'll open up enough of the wallet so that you can fix some problems. But no, the team's not built to win because there's too many holes in the team. There's too many questions. And there, there should be. If anybody had any expectation they were going to go from the last two seasons into this one and all of a sudden be like, you know, division champs, run away with it, have a, have a winning record, start beating teams in the playoffs with this group, that they were nuts. I don't know what they're watching on the field. What you should want is that at the end of the year, you, you accomplish what we set as a goal on this, on this show in, in, in spring training. Find some more talent. Find out what you have and that's going to be here long term that you feel comfortable with going into 2024. I mean, since we started the show, I kept saying 2024. I kept saying 2024 is probably the first year that you're going to have a, enough of a core built up on this team that if you want to go out and spend money, you can go get a pitcher, you can go get yourself a real hitter that you stick in the middle of the lineup who's a professional, right? And imagine if you were able to do that at the first base position, like you brought in a real thumper. You brought in somebody who's like, you know, holy cow, what a big signing by Pittsburgh. And, and you know, and you maybe, maybe, maybe you sign two, three free agents in the offseason and you have a, at least a respectable payroll and now you're out there and you're in it right and you're still going to find flaws after that you're still going to find things you need to to build on you're still going to have injury and you're going to hope that you have built up enough depth to be able to deal with the injuries but like this this is just we're just on the next stair on the climb in 2023 and that's that's how I see it I'm surprised that not everybody sees it that way I I wonder if it's just the fans that like like I, I get the podcast I get that there's people out there right now who who make their money talking. It's very easy to be angry and critical and yell and scream. And me, I've always been one of these people that doesn't trust front offices, and I, I don't trust billionaires in any way whatsoever. I don't. But I can at least sit back and look at this and understand what's going on. And the way that it's working has made sense because it's been consistent how they've set this up in their timeline as to what they were doing. I could still look. I, look, I look at Jackson Winsky this year and I say, Overall, overall, I'm pleased. I wish he wasn't as streaky. I wish his average was higher than 233. But overall, I think you found something that, worst case, is your fourth outfielder when you're really when you're really great. But I mean, could be one of your another piece. You may have found another piece there that you're happy with. You may have found some other pieces in this thing. Bringing Henry Davis up, if he hits really well, you've got a piece. I don't know where he's going to end up playing for his career. But you've got another piece, and that's the whole idea. Find more pieces. And then at some point, in the end, Bob Nutting has to open up the wallet and buy a few pieces. The, pe- the pieces that aren't ready when it's time to compete, he must purchase, or all of this was for nothing. Yeah, and I think that some people, like like I said, get caught up in the idea of, you know, a lot of times it's mentioned, like, catching prospect Henry Davis. Catching prospect and yes, they are catchers. Yes, they've been used as catchers. One was drafted as a catcher. One was, you know, signed by the Mets back in the day, you know, as a catcher, a very extremely young catcher and still a very young catcher in in Andy Rodriguez. But it's thinking that, you know, that is the answer and that is the only position that they will play. And that is, you know... It doesn't really happen that way sometimes. That's why, like, I, there's always, like, these... It's like, well, well, Adley Rushman did it. And it's like, well, how many guys, other than Adley Rushman did it, 
you know, over the past however many years, and how of that, how many Joe Joe, Joe Mauer, Joe Mauer, that was a big, that was a big gap though between the two of them. Yeah, that right? were like good hitting backstops that stuck at backstop and came in and played backstop from the beginning. I mean, obviously Joe Mauer moved off the position, you know, later on in his career, but. Yeah, it, it, that's where it's just like, okay, it, you got to get out of that mentality. And as you were talking, Chris, and, and it's a point I've been wanting to make for a while here now, and it's not completely, it doesn't match up completely, but the number of Pirates fans that look back to the trade that we made for Chris Archer, and I don't even look at this point in time of the players that we gave up, it was how Chris Archer performed after he came in and how that kind of slowed down you know, what they were building with this team. And if he would have performed even... I mean, like an average pitcher at the major leagues, it, it might have been a little bit better. But people will say is, you know, we got caught up in what I think was like a 12 to a 14 game winning streak at that point in time and believing that we were, you know, maybe a little bit better of a team than we were. And we made a rash decision as an organization. Neil Huntington did. We didn't make it, but Neil Huntington yeah. made that decision. And, and decided, you know, something that changed. And, and a lot of people will agree, like experts will say, you know, that could have potentially set the organization back a couple of years. And it, it obviously... Oh, he was a problem. That's why he had to be replaced. But you can't sit around. Like, that's the thing. That when you get a regime change, you can't blame the current regime for what the guys before did. Yeah. That's the thing I don't understand. I, you know, you know, the, you got a you got a new regime that's in there. I don't, I don't, I don't get that reasoning from the fan. No, base. but then they also say that okay, we were twenty and eight. So why didn't we just push our chips all in at that point in time? Because we were twenty and eight. So it's like so. Oh my goodness, twenty and eight to start off a year coming off a hundred loss season, and you think that that's going to be maintained through one hundred and sixty two games? So start trading prospects and put everything in. Are you nuts? Who are these people? You know, you got to stay off of Twitter. Okay, I mean, you know, Twitter was described to me by a friend years ago that even the kid that ate paste in your in your first grade classroom has a Twitter account. And the thing is, you can't tell the difference between the intelligent people and the paste eaters. And I think you read about too many paste eaters opinions because that, that is that is absolutely insane. Let me let me just give a quick thought here at the end because I think that I want to just put this in perspective for people because you're talking about how everybody goes oh you drafted this so this is our catcher of the future and you drafted this is our second baseman of the future and you drafted this and this person is going to be our our starting pitcher of the future right now if you look at the Pirates top 10 on MLB pipeline four of them are in the top 100 four of them I'm going to tell you right now based upon law of averages of Tamar Johnson, Andy Rodriguez, Henry Davis and Quinn Priester if you end up with two two of them being high-end, all-star caliber, caliber players, or even just professional everyday ball players that you become happy with, that you sit there and say, they make us better being on this team. If you get two of them, 50% of them working out, you're ahead of most teams because not every prospect hits and not everybody ends up making it in the major leagues. It just doesn't happen. Of the 10 guys you have on that pipeline list, it, you're likely to get three of them, three of them that become everyday good players for you. Maybe four. That's just how it works. Not all these guys are going to work out. So the idea that, well, we've got our first baseman, so we're done. We've got our catcher. We've got our, our outfielder. We've got our starting pitcher. We just need to bring them up here and let them play. You have, you have never looked, obviously, at how prospects work, how guys develop, the fact that it's not linear, 
and the successes and the failures, and most of them are failures across Major League Baseball with high-end prospects. Okay, It's unrealistic to just think, oh, we drafted this guy, and he's high up on a list, so he's going to be great someday. It's crazy. You can hope for it. That's part of being a fan. But it's crazy to actually believe that they're all hitting, and they're all going in the position they were drafted in. Oh, my God, 20 and 8, we should put all of our chips in? Please. Not, not good gamblers, Chris. Not good gamblers. Terrible gamblers. I want to gamble with those people. <laughs> you know? How do, how do I place bets with those idiots? Oh, my God. That's crazy to me. You, you made my brain hurt. I'm done. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say.